And now I need a volunteer. And here comes Sherman. Sherman. Perfect timing, my friend. Perfect timing. Have a seat right there. You're going to want to take off your glasses. You can put them right on this table. You are in the hot seat. This is Sherman. You recognize he's our drummer. He was our summer intern. And he is now an official guinea pig. All right. First of all, I want to let you know that I will do nothing here today to embarrass you much. I'm not going to do anything that will hurt you at all. But what I need you to do is this, this nice mask provided to me by Turkish Airlines. Uh, I'd like you to put this on so that you cannot see. How's that? You cannot? Okay, he can't see anything. All right. Now, I have something here, and I'm going to ask you, and don't let it frighten you, seriously. Uh, it's not a bug. I'm not going to ask you to hold anything, actually, okay? But what I want to do is I want to ask you to smell something. It's, it's not bad, I promise. I promise. Okay. I'm going to hold it. You can't see, right? All right. Can you smell? You didn't have a cold or something? No. Okay. All right. So I'm going to hold it close. Take a whiff. <laughs> I didn't mean for you to eat it. Can you, can you tell what that is by the smell? What is it? It's Play-Doh. That's exactly right. Okay, you can take the mask off. Okay, good job. Thank you. Okay, you're done. Okay, thank you. Oh, yeah, your glasses. You may need those. Uh, okay, Play-Doh. It's pretty cool. How many of you have played with Play-Doh? All right, good stuff. I like this. I don't keep this in my office, but I did learn something today that Play-Doh now comes without scent. We actually had to search through Play-Doh to find something that smelled like Play-Doh. And I'm thinking, if this is the case, they are robbing our children, and I want you all to write Play-Doh and tell them to put the smell back in the Play-Doh, okay? Because this is good stuff. But it didn't start off as a child's toy. I, I learned this, that, that Play-Doh actually started well back, probably in the 30s, when people used to, to burn uh, coal for heat in their homes. Uh, when they burned the coal, it would produce soot, and the soot would get on their wallpaper. And so Kroger, the grocery company, was looking for a way to clean wallpaper. And so it contracted with a company, a soap company, to create what was kind of a, a, a putty substance that could be pulled down over the wallpaper to clean off the soot. Well, that lasted for about 20 years and kept this soap company really doing well, but then people switched from coal to gas and to oil and it didn't create that same soot and so the market for this particular product uh, it went it would just dropped and so uh, the company had to figure out what can we do and the guy who ran the company had a sister-in-law who was a teacher and she invited him to come to her classroom where she showed him all the little figures 
that had been made from that putty. And he decided with a slight reformulation, a little bit of color, he could create a child's toy, which has sold an incredible number. I mean, how many children's homes with children or grandchildren doesn't have Play-Doh in it? And here's, here's what I want you to note about this. A very simple, mundane, short-lived product was transformed into something that is now universal and brings such joy and happiness even to adults. Come on, guys, you know it. When the kids are gone, when the grandkids are gone, eh, come on now. You get the Play-Doh, you smell it. You just walk around with that smell on your hands. It's just an awesome thing. It really is pretty cool. But this transformation of something lowly and simple into something that is fresh and exciting and, and new. Today, we want to understand that our lives are in a lot of ways like that. Short-lived, sometimes mundane. But there's a transformation that can take place through Jesus Christ that changes everything. It moves us from soot putty to Play-Doh. It, it, it changes our very nature, our very purpose in life. When we come to know Jesus Christ personally, not as some mythical figure, not as some historical figure, not even as a religious figure, but when we come to know Jesus personally, when we enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, everything changes, even our purpose for being. We've been singing about it. We've been talking about it. We've been sharing scripture about it this morning. And I want to share with you this morning, as we got in this series called I Was Made for This, that one of the things that you were made and designed and created for is worship. Worship. You were made for worship. What does that mean? What does it mean that we're made from worship? Let me, let me share with you what some others have said. I think it may help us. Louis Giglio, some of you are familiar with him. He wrote a book called The Air I Breathe, and in it he said, I don't know whether or not you consider yourself a worshiping kind of person, but you cannot help but worship something. It's what you were made to do. Should you for some reason choose not to give God what he desires, you'll still worship something, exchanging the creator for something he has created. In the 1600s, a French mathematician named Blaise Pascal, he wrote, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in a man a true happiness of which all that now remains is an empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. Here, in the 1600s, there's this recognition that there's an emptiness, an abyss, what 
People have come to call a a God-shaped hole or a God-shaped vacuum inside every human being which can only be fully, completely, and ultimately filled by God himself. But that's not where it all started. If we rewind the clock back to the 400s, a bishop named Augustine wrote this, You have made us for yourself. And our heart is restless, O Lord, until it finds its rest in you. There's a restlessness, an emptiness, a longing that's inside every human heart. Something that desires to be filled and only one who can fill it. So where does all this come from? Well, if we rewind the clock a little bit more. And we go with the Apostle Paul to the city of Athens where he's preaching and teaching before philosophers and intellectuals. Here's what we read in Acts chapter 17, verses 22 to 27. Then Paul stood before the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, People of Athens, I can see that you're very religious in all things. As I was going through your city, I saw objects you worship. I found an altar that had these words written on it, to a God who is not known. You worship a God that you don't know, and this is a God I'm telling you about, the God who made the whole world and everything in it. He is a Lord of the land and of the sky. He does not live in temples built by human hands. This God is the one who gives life, breath, and everything else to people. He does not need any help from them. He has everything he needs. God began by making one person. And from him came all the different people who live everywhere in the world. God decided exactly when and where they must live. Now listen to this. God wanted them to look for him. God wanted them to look for him and perhaps search all around for him and find him though he is not far from any of us god wanted he created us with this longing inside to seek him out to find out why we have this hole this vacuum this emptiness this abyss in us and he not only wanted us to look for him he wanted us to find him in other words he didn't go off way off somewhere he didn't try to hide in the most distant inaccessible place what paul says is listen god wanted you to find him and in fact he's right behind you all you have to do is turn around it's not that he's distant he's near He wants you not only to look for him, he wants you to find him. In other words, God is, what what was the book of Ecclesiastes says that, that God has set eternity in our hearts. It's like a homing beacon. God has put in our hearts that we might seek after him and find him. Our spirit longs to be reconnected with the great spirit, the one spirit, God who is spirit. A God whom we cannot see, a God whom we cannot touch, and yet God is there, ready for us, waiting for us. We worship, folks, not because we have to. We worship because we were made for this. 
It's the way God designed us, the way God shaped us, the way God molded us. We were created for this. Every once in a while in the Bible, God allows us to see behind the curtain. He pulls back for us that great divide between heaven and earth, and he allows us to see at least through those who who were, were prophets or evangelists or those who, who wrote Scripture. He allows us to see for a few moments what's taking place in the heavenlies. And, and here this morning, I want to share with you, and I, I'd like you actually, if you have your Bibles, to, to open up to Re- the book of Revelation. You think, that, oh, here's mysteries. This is going to be some scary stuff, some kind of weird horses and beasts. And No, no, that's not what I want you to see this morning in Revelation chapter 5. What I want you to see this morning is something that's taking place even now in heaven and something that will take place in eternity and something, listen, something that you can have part in yourself. Revelation chapter 5, this is John the Apostle, he's in exile on the Isle of Patmos and God pulls a curtain back and he says, let me show you what's taking place right now and what will take place for all eternity to come. Verses 11 to 14, we begin here. It says, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. And so what we see as we look here in verse 11, there is a throne that that John beholds. But the throne is not there alone. As God is on the throne, Jesus on the throne, John looks and and there's, there's noise. There's sounds. He says around this throne... There were living creatures. This, these referred to the cherubim. Who are the cherubim? The cherubim was all, were always around God. They were always near to the presence of God. And because of that, they literally burned with the glory of God. They glowed with the glory of God. God is glorious. His presence is glorious. He shines brighter than the sun. And those who are near him began to pick that up and they begin to reflect that glory and so these living creatures these cherubim these fiery creatures are around the throne and not only them but there are elders the 24 elders and many bible scholars believe these 24 elders represent the church they are around the throne and not only there but there are angels but we read myriads and myriads, thousands upon thousands. The NIV translates it thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands. In other words, if we were to use the words of Buzz Lightyear to infinity and beyond, that's the kind of picture we're getting here. That, that there are so many angels, it's beyond counting the number of angels that are around the throne. So this is an incredible picture But it's not a silent picture. It's not a silent movie like the old black and white movies. Because there's a lot of noise, a lot of sound going on. And it says here in verse 12, And the angels were saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth 
and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. There was overflowing praise around this throne. Now, when when we get a group like this together and we sing, we can make some noise. And I've been in larger venues, and perhaps you have too, where everyone is called upon to sing. And, and the, the noise, it, it amps up, the volume continues to increase. Uh, what's really cool, for those of you who guys, if you've been to a guys conference, a lot of time men in mixed company, we don't sing with the same robustness that that uh, that that we would and when we're just around guys and the reason for that is because we know that the guy next to me cannot sing any better than I do and so we tend in those big things when we have a familiar song to be able to sing with a loudness and a boisterousness that's that's just incredible but I cannot imagine what John not only saw but what he heard when you have an infinite number of angels around the throne of God, and they are singing praises to him, declaring praises to him. When it says saying, our assumption here uh, is that this is more of a sing-song kind of chant, which would be a little bit more familiar if you've heard uh, a lot of times Jewish prayers or you've heard uh, the the chants that go on. This is kind of what we're thinking of, that it was some kind of melodic saying. But what it is it's recognizing the worth of the Lamb, of Jesus. That's what worship is. Get this. The word worship actually means worthy of praise. It deals with God's worthship. And therefore, we get the name worship. God is worthy. He deserves it. There are times in our lives where we recognize that people have done a great deed, and we make a big deal of it, don't we? We we give them trophies. We give them parades, and we celebrate, and we go, okay, you deserve this. You've earned this. this. You're worth this for us. And imagine, that's just for the human being. The God of the universe who created everything and then after the fall made a new creation. This God is worthy. He's worthy to receive power. He's worthy to receive wealth. He's worthy to receive wisdom. He's worthy to receive might. Worthy to receive honor. Worthy to receive glory. Worthy to receive blessing. And he goes on in verse 13 and says, And I heard every living creature. Listen, every living creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessings and honor and glory and might forever and ever imagine that all of creation singing praises to god i remember distinctly there was one uh, Easter morning, we had a sunrise service here, and for some reason, I'd gotten the time wrong, and we'd publicized the time, and so what was it, like 5, 5.30, Tommy, something like that? It was early. Uh, sunrise was just a distant memory. I mean, it, it, hadn't, it, was, it was something to come, but it was dark when we got there. But as we went through the service, you get the first little faint hints of light that came up. And as soon as it did, 
the birds started singing. And that hit me. While it was dark, it was all quiet. But as soon as the light began to shine, those birds began to sing, and the earth came alive. Those birds are created to sing. And so were we. And when we are in the light of God, when we are in the presence of Jesus, the light of the world, it should set our hearts to singing, put such a joy in us that there's no way we could cap it if we tried. And this is what we're seeing is complete unbridled worship from all of creation. And then it says in verse 14, And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. When this, when all of creation began to acknowledge the worth of God, the elders, the 24 elders representing the church, said, Amen. You know what amen means? It means, so be it. I agree with what you're saying. I agree with it wholeheartedly. I agree with what you're saying. And the elders said, hey, listen, when you're acknowledging the God who is, when you're acknowledging the Savior who is, when you're acknowledging the one who created us, who made us, who shaped us, who saved us, who redeemed us, who gave us a home with him in heaven forever, when you acknowledge him and you recognize his worth, there in heaven, shouts of amen so be it we agree with that because you on earth are agreeing with us here in heaven and we can say amen we can say so be it we can say we agree with that wholeheartedly in these few verses we get just a glimpse into eternity and the glory that is God and the glory that is around his throne is all creation All the angels, all the cherubim, all those who've gone on before us are singing praise to him. But you need to recognize that picture is our eternity. We will be there. And I know that we'll be doing other things. I mean, it's not like we're going to be standing around the throne singing Chris Tomlin songs all the time. Uh, The Bible shows us that we'll have some responsibilities. We'll have things that God has designed us and shaped us and calls us to do. But part of what we're going to be doing there is worship. And I mean unbridled worship. Worship just completely unhinged. And I don't mean in a crazy kind of way. I just mean worship without all the reservations, the hesitations, and the impurities that oftentimes we bring. Sometimes it's hard for us to sing praises because we know on Sunday morning what we've done on Saturday or Thursday or Tuesday. We know the thoughts that have gone through our minds this very morning. We know that argument we had in the car on the way here this morning and we understand that and it somehow dampens our worship but there it will be pure and complete and we will worship with without reservation here's what i want you to know that kind of worship can be part of your daily life It's not something you have to wait in order to get to heaven to experience. You can begin that even now. Now, we know that there are times, yeah, we come together and we do this. 
Maybe we have a personal time of worship in our personal devotion time or a family time of worship in our family devotional time. But I want to encourage you to, to see worship as not something that's contained inside a building or, or wrapped up inside a, an hour, hour, and 15-minute service on Sunday morning. But worship is part of life. That's right. You can worship washing dishes you can worship raking leaves. You can worship driving a car down the interstate. You can worship doing anything that you're doing because worship, remember, is not a, a practice that we do here on Sunday morning, a thing that we do. Worship is a state of our heart as we acknowledge with our entire being the worthiness of our God. I remember hearing my grandmother singing over the sink before dishwashers, before nonstick cookware. My grandmother at the sink in the farmhouse, he was a tenant farmer in the farmhouse that they lived in, washing dishes and singing. These beautiful old hymns of the faith. I remember that. And it taught me from a young age that you don't have to be in a house of worship to worship. Because we are the house of worship. We are the dwelling place of the Almighty. Worship can be part of our lives. Some of you, uh, a few weeks ago, we're in week seven now of our uh, 120 days of intentionality. And some of you got the, you know, the folder and you looked through and you said, okay, these are the commitments. And, and you pulled out, you tore off this section and, and you wrote in here or you checked, this is, this is going to be my commitment for the next 120 days. Here's my card right here. But some of you missed that Sunday or perhaps you didn't, you said, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I want to encourage you today. We're in the seventh week right now of 120 days. I want to encourage you as when you leave here today to go over to the Grace at Home Resource Center and to ask someone who's there, hey, could you give me one of those 120 days of intentionality brochures? And after you've completed it, we'd really love for you to bring the, the big part back, but after you've completed it with your 120-day card, maybe, just maybe, based on what you've heard today, maybe what you want to do is to go in here and write down something about your worship life for the next, you know, for the rest of this year, you know. A commitment that you want to make in your personal worship, worshiping as a family, worshiping as a lifestyle. Maybe that's something you want to do. I want to encourage you to do that. And, 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 and sometimes writing things down and keeping it with us is a helpful reminder for us. Because what we do here on Sunday should not be the only time we worship. If it is, can I just honestly and lovingly tell you, you are missing out. I want you to have the same joy during the week that you can experience here on Sunday morning, the same joy that my grandmother experienced at the kitchen sink. And it can be yours. Because our worship is not based on how we feel. Our worship is not based on our circumstances. Our worship is is based on the worthiness of our God. Let me give you a few takeaways and we'll land this plane. First of all, 
Worship is hardwired into creation. In other words, we will worship something or someone. We are made to worship. Worship is the acknowledgement of the goodness, greatness, and glory of the Lord. Worship is not an activity. Worship is an acknowledgement. What we're saying with our words, what we're saying with our songs, what we're saying with our lifestyle is that God is worthy. Worship is not confined to a certain day, a certain time, or a certain place. Worship can be and should be woven into all of life. And finally, God's children will worship Him for all eternity. (laughs) But we shouldn't wait. We can begin now. And I pray that for you that's exactly what's going to take place. That today, because of what you've heard from God's Word because you can say amen to it, you can agree to it, that today will begin for you a time of of true worship that is not just confined to this place on Sunday morning, but is part of your Monday morning. You can wake up on Monday, listen, Monday morning and worship. Maybe it simply begins by waking up and instead of saying, oh God, you say thank you God. You gave me another day, another day to worship you, another day to serve you, another day to to impact this world for Jesus Christ. Find simple ways to remind yourself through the day to worship. I want to give you one of mine just so you'll know. One of the most aggravating parts about getting an Apple Watch for a gift was it was automatically set up with a thing that told me to breathe. As if I needed a reminder to breathe. The intent was to give you times during the day to slow down and just to think about your breathing and just kind of calm down and relax. I turned it off. I ain't got time for that mess. A few days ago, I turned it back on. You know why? Not because I needed a reminder to breathe, but because I needed a reminder to worship. And so six times during the day, I don't know when, how it picks the stuff, but six times during the day, my watch chimes to tell me, hey, Jimmy, it's time to breathe the breath of heaven. It's time to worship. So stop and just take 60 seconds to get your mind off yourself, to get your mind off everything you're doing, and to focus on the one who's worthy of praise. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this, for your word, for its truth and its power. And I pray today, Lord, that if there are any who need a new beginning, a new start, that today might be their day. That it might not be so much turning over a new leaf as turning over their lives. To give their life to you fully and completely and begin to follow you in every way possible. For some of them, it means they need to receive Jesus as Savior. For others, it may be a, a recommitment to you. For some, it may be a, a desire to unite with a church that can support them and encourage them as they begin that search in life. For others, Lord, there just may be some things that are in the way of, of worship. Unconfessed sin, broken relationships that or at least partly our fault. And today, Lord, we want to get rid of those things. We want to come 
as like coming to an altar and laying it down and finding refreshing and cleansing to be able to get up and walk and begin to resume this day walking more closely with you. So Lord, whether it's a person who needs Jesus and, or a family that needs a church or someone who simply needs to come and pray, or maybe this be a precious time, a time of commitment where we, as we sing this last song, do real business with you. Lord, thank you for you're worthy. We praise you for you're worthy. Lord, you deserve our worship. Let us worship.